Hello, and welcome to the Seven Sage Podcast. My name is JY Ping, and on today's episode, we put together a collection of highlights from the weekly admissions office hours that David Busis and Celine Steelman have been running. David and Celine are part of the Seven Sage Admissions Consulting Team, and during the weekly office hours, they answer your questions about law school applications. The office hours are ongoing, free, and you're welcome to join. Hop onto our discussion forums at Seven Sage to find out more. I'll also provide a link in the show notes below. As you'll hear, the questions run the gamut from highly specific to very general. If you're in the process of applying to law school yourself, or soon will be, I think you'll find that at least some of these questions will resonate with you. The first excerpt is from a student asking if she can write a personal statement about being a horse trainer. So for the last 20 plus years, I've actually owned my own business um, in a very non-traditional field. Uh, my partner and I uh, are horse trainers, and we train horses and riders at the very highest level of the sport. So at kind of at the elite level, like think ice skating, and it's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I've had nine full-time employees, blah, blah, blah. So I've had that whole entire other life. Yeah. Um, and I put law school on hold when I got out of undergrad in order to have this other life. However, it's a huge life. <laughs> so I don't really know if it, if I can find a way to target a personal statement in a narrow enough range to say anything other than, hey, cool, check it out. I had this totally other life. You know what I mean? So I don't First know. First of all, I, let me assure you that you can. Do that and write my personal statement about something else or if I should try to somehow tie the two things together. People have told me all different things. Okay. Well, to me, I think it sounds crazy not to talk about that. It sounds like what you're saying is I have so much rich material that I can't choose. So should I just throw that whole project away and look somewhere else? That's kind of what I'm hearing. I okay. think you could totally write about that career. It's really interesting and it's also relevant. One thing that you wanna do when you apply is get ahead of an admissions officer's questions. And if I were an admissions officer, I would wanna know, not in a skeptical way, really just a curious way, why is this person who is a successful horse trader at an elite level now applying to law school? So right. I think your personal statement should answer that question. All right, that's awesome advice. And I'll give you a little more. You can think in terms of a narrow model in which you just pick one really important anecdote from your um, career and then tell it in maybe two or three paragraphs and reflect on it for another two paragraphs, something like that, and then, you know, explain how it either pushed you towards law school or how it's going to teach you, how it taught you something that you'll use in law school. So that's okay. option one, a narrow focus on a single anecdote. Option two, which people don't avail themselves of enough, is a bigger story that pulls the camera back and just walks us through this whole arc. Paragraph one is maybe how you got into the trade after college. Paragraph two is like how you built the business. Paragraph three, four is what led you to law school. And paragraph five is a reflection on it and maybe a statement of what you want to do going forward. Okay. How you want to use your JD. Okay, cool. Thanks. I hope that helps. Yeah, very helpful. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Good luck. Next, we'll hear from Jay, who wants to know what to put on his resume. Hi, Jay. Hi, David. Can you hear me? I can. How's it going? Oh, great. Thank you. I, I recently used your service for the, um, the editing. I just want to tell you 
amazing service. I mean, I, uh, I, I have some questions though. So, um, you know, just uh, beyond just the personal statement, not sure. related. So I thought I'd just come in. Thanks for holding this um, for us. I just wanted to ask, I was looking at your advice um, about the resume and including the, uh, was the extracurriculars and the volunteer service. I was just, um, but, but, and, but not including it if you've been out of you know, undergrad for a while. And my situation is like a slight variant of that. I have been out of undergrad for about a decade, but then I went back to grad school because, um, you know, my last career path didn't work out exactly. And, you know, I, I'm now working in the legal field and I'm planning on going you know, back to law school part-time while working. And therefore, you know, I'm kind of in like, you know, so I've, I'm a recent graduate of grad school, but yet not a recent undergraduate graduate. So should I include a lot of those extracurriculars and stuff from like back in the day still, or do you think I, um, that might not be necessary still given the slight, um, you know, slight variation? I would just reframe the question. I don't think you should ask, should I include such and such an extracurricular activity? I think you should be asking, what are the most important things that I, I want to include on a one page or a two page resume? If, in that two pages or that one page, depending on the school, you have room for those extracurriculars, absolutely put them on. I would imagine that after a decade of being in and out of school, in and out of the workforce, you probably do have enough to at least fill a page. So oh, fill this and just see how much room you have. And if there's room, put the meaningful extracurriculars on, sure. Okay, I've about, I, I included mainly just education, honors and um, work and i'm already about borderline two pages so, so it sounds like you might not have room for okay. them all right so in that case okay i'll i might include maybe just like one major one that i was more involved in perhaps but not too many with yeah if i have spaces does that sound like a possible compromise in your opinion i do i would okay. say that you should prioritize any volunteering or okay so to speak, extracurricular activities after you graduated. I say so to speak because there is no curriculum anymore, but if you do anything you know, outside of your job with some organization, whatever it is, something, you know, you're, you're an interpreter at your church or you do bingo club, whatever, um, that, that probably does deserve a place on your resume because it's more recent. Okay, so try to keep it recent. Um, don't necessarily try to keep it recent. Just again, if you have a, if there's a question of what you can fit in this last inch of space, I would probably choose the more recent thing. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. I'll keep that in mind and I'll, uh, I'll see. And um, thank you. For, and also I have one other question, please. Sure. Can I, can I just, I just want to point out one thing before you ask it. There's, there's a lesson in resumes called what to cut. Right. That you, could, that you should check out because it might help you make room. Next, we'll hear from a student who wants to know if she should write a diversity statement. So if my personal statement covers my, you know, 20 plus year career, do I need to write an addendum, a diversity statement for being 48? Because most people say write one, but if it's already covered in my personal statement, I don't want to beat everybody over the head like, hello, I'm old. <laughs> Let me in because I'm old. You don't need to write one. Okay, good. Diversity statements are optional essays that are really actually optional. And I have also heard, <laughs> I was at a conference where this question came up. It was a conference of 
pre-law professionals and a pre-law advisor was like, yeah, you should always write a diversity statement no matter what, because you just want to show them as much stuff as possible. And an admissions officer was there just made a face like she just, I don't know, sucked on some potpourri or something. Something you're not supposed to <laughs> like, uh, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> which is what I always tell people. You do not just want to blast them with unnecessary information. If they know you're 48 and if you don't have anything else to say that you haven't said in your personal statement, don't write one. Okay, perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Next, we'll hear from Alyssa, who's wondering if new letters of recommendations are required when reapplying. Um, so just a quick background. I previously applied back in 2016. Um, didn't get into any of the law schools that I wanted to. So I retook the LSAT this June and I'm planning on taking it again in November to get a higher score. Um, my question is whether or not I should look into getting new letters of recommendation for this new cycle in applying for law school. You applied in 2016? I did in February of 2016. I feel like it wouldn't be a big deal to ask your old recommenders for new letters okay. um, because I don't think that it requires much of them. They probably have the old letter on file and they might mm -hmm. just stamp it with a new date and maybe update it if there's anything to update it. Gotcha. Okay. That's perfect. Thank you so much. That's honestly um, the only question I had today. Sure. Celine, how, how long do you think letters stay valid? I mean, when do you want to see a new one? I personally feel like letters should not be any more than a year and a half old. Uh, if, if someone is applying in 2018 and they have letters dated from 2015 or 2016, I ask myself, why haven't they um, tried to get updated letters? Um, why haven't, what have they done in the last two years? since they last applied to law school, what have they done and why haven't they made enough of an impression on whatever, uh, whoever they worked with or were working for that they couldn't get new updated letters. Um, so I think, you know, your suggestion of having the old recommenders maybe just put a new date on the old letter, um, I think it's good. Uh, if you have, since the last time you applied to law school, maybe uh, worked at a job or um, have done research or whatever else you've done to update your resume and get more experience, I would, I would strongly encourage you to try to find one letter, um, a recommendation that is more current that discusses what you've done since the last time you applied to law school. Perfect, it, thank you so much. If you're in, uh... If you're in the admissions office, do you think twice about a letter that's a year old? Um, a year old, not so much. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, good luck, Jalessa. Thank you. Next, a student is wondering if the prestige of an undergraduate institution and the difficulty of the major are taken into account when ADCOMs consider a GPA. You know, I, I went to uh, MIT for undergrad and I uh, double majored uh, in engineering and economics. and. Um, I had a 3.0, and uh, my GPA is just so below the medians, you know, and I, I was just wondering what, how do you think they'll factor in? I know, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to hurt their, you know, numbers for rankings, but how much will going to a school like that, also double majoring, also the fact that I've been out of school for about a decade, how much do you think they'll be considered in terms of uh, applying with a quote-unquote lower GPA. Can I ask what your LSAT score is? Uh, right now it's a 166, 
and I'm retaking it uh, next week. Um, Celine, can I toss this one over to you? Sure. Um, so what I would say is you are correct that every time a law school admits uh, an application, um, they are keeping their medians in mind, their median LSAT, their median GPA, what they hope to maintain, right? So if a median, if a school's median is like a three, five, and they take someone, and they are, they're considering admitting someone with a three, oh, they're thinking to themselves, okay, we're gonna have to find another applicant who has a really high GPA to counterbalance this. That said, uh, I think the fact that you went to MIT, the fact that you have a very solid LSAT score, and the fact that you majored, you double majored in two very, very difficult uh, majors uh, will all be taken into consideration and that, you know, it's not going to help them with their numbers or their statistics for the rankings um, and for the ABA, but, um, you know, they, that, that the school would want to have someone with those credentials, I think, in their incoming class so that they would somehow make it work. Um, I right. think that, you know, just just those credentials on paper, um, they like to have that variety, right? Because, um, uh, you know, you have a sea of English and history and poli-sci majors. And at least for us at Cardozo, whenever we got like a hard science application that came through, um, everybody got very excited. <laughs> um. That's good. that's good to hear. Like so, in terms of and sorry, uh, just a follow up question. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you at Cardozo. Like so, if I'm let's say applying to say a T14 school, is it am I effectively shut out? Do I have to go above the uh, LSAT median, and then that puts me? I I just like for me, I'm like a 3.0 double major at MIT. Like I I feel pretty proud of it, you know. But I I, I guess I want to know what that rules out and what that kind of keeps open given you know maybe if I score a few points higher I think that you know those are really great accomplishments and that you should feel proud of them and I think that they are impressive to any member of any admissions committee right. Um, right. they're they're just having to do some calculations you know if, right. we, if we admit this really interesting um, candidate who has you know strong double majors and he's been out of school for ten years and I don't know what you've been doing but wow he he put together a compelling application where he's been doing really interesting stuff um, you know already they're they're not going to treat your 3.0 the same way that they would uh, treat someone who just graduated with a 3.0 you know like they're also going to factor in um, all the professional uh, accomplishments accomplishments that you've accrued over the last ten years. So, you know, numbers aside, I think that there, there are ways for you to sort of distinguish yourself from the rest of the applicant pool that um, they're not just going to look at your file based uh, just on the numbers and uh, um, they're, they're going to look at other factors in your application. That said, uh, when it comes to dealing with their statistics, um, I think definitely if you're able to secure a higher score, it would help you. Um, and, you know, if, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, you were able to get like a 170, okay? Um, yeah. That, they'll say, wow, this file is a, is a 170 slash 3.0. Um, you know, we, we want to have a high LSAT. We, you know, that helps us maintain our median. Um, right. I, I personally think that it's easier to find higher GPAs out there than to find high LSAT scores. 
Right. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, a school might make the calculation that, hey, we want to have um, someone with an MIT degree and some hard science background and all this professional experience. Um, let's see if we can try to find a, a higher GPA to help us with whatever weight, you know, your file right. will, 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 will put on our, our statistics with the 3.8. So, so basically, get a higher LSAT in like Chicago, NY, maybe not Chicago, but NYU and those kind of schools are kind of on the table now. I don't have their medians in front of me, but if, if you can get into their, into their 50, uh, the 50th or 75th, right. uh, you know, they're, they're not going to toss your file aside. <laughs> uh, awesome. Okay, cool. Thank, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Constantino, so I'm going to... Um... I'm going to chime in. You can see on your own academic summary in LSAC that schools can see a distribution of GPAs at your school. Right. It's not for right. everybody at your school. It's for LSAT right. takers at your school. So they yeah. have contextual information, and they'll know right. that a 3.0 at MIT is maybe not the same as a 3.0 from another school, from any other school. Right. You might also be able to give them more contextual information in a GPA addendum if you can okay. get any data on um, the average GPA in your major, I, I don't know. Celine, do you think yeah. that might help admissions committees know how to interpret his um, academic record? A 3.0 from MIT, any reader would look at that and say, well, you know, a 3.0 from there is not the same as a 3.0 from, you know, some other school. And it's not uncommon for candidates to in uh, to fluff up their cumulative GPA by you know taking a lot of um, courses at community colleges, right? Uh, the reader the, the reader will see all of this. Um, they'll see oh you know this is a super high GPA, but they got it by taking lots of summer classes at this school and this other school, and you know these schools are not at the same level as a place like MIT. So um, I I would say it's not really necessary to even put it in writing. I mean, you could if you wanted to, um, but that it, it's, it's just very clear that um, they know, um, you know, the value of a 3.0 from a place like your undergraduate institution. Um, you know, for, for, for rankings, per, ranking purposes, they, they, it doesn't matter. Like a 3.0 is a, still a 3.0, but um, you know, with, with, the, with the amount of sort of um, the, the calculations they make to put together a class, um, they want to have, they don't want to just get a whole bunch of 3.8, you know, 3.8 and 172s. Like, like, it's not that simple. They want to put together a diverse and full and robust and interesting class. And that's going to include, you know, people who might have lower GPAs because they took really hard, you know, they, they pursued really difficult majors. I think that they will be understanding. Oh, okay, so, cool. If you do want to get that LSAT score up, we just don't, we just don't see that many people get into T14 schools if both of their numbers are below the median, unless they bring major diversity factors. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, David. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to retake you know, next week, my, my average score has, has kind of gone up much higher. Uh, I actually think I underperformed with the 166. So I, I think, you know, I think I should be able to do it next week. And, uh, but, you know, with that, I, you know, I was just, I, you know, I, I run through the numbers and, you know, of course, 
there's so much contextual information that's missing. But, um, you know, I put in a 3-0 even with a, a 170. And, you know, a place like NYU is like 5%, you know. So I just wanted to make sure that, you know, I wasn't um, overinflating what I thought was a tough degree and what, what I think it should do for me versus uh, maybe like who cares, you know. You don't have the numbers, so – tough luck you know no it's definitely worth applying and as you know this admissions predictor is a pretty crude tool it, it doesn't know that you went to right. mit so right right and at the same time i also don't want to be like a jerk and be like i went to mit you know so um uh but uh thanks thank you for giving me some context and um yeah i'll i'll, I'll try hard next week and, good and luck guess, next week yeah thanks a lot david and uh I, I don't know that I forgot your other name, but uh, thank you too so much. Celine. Celine. Thank you, Celine. Sure, no problem. Next, we'll hear from a student wondering if taking the January LSAT is too late. November is kind of my first time taking LSAT, and I'm going to apply the SACO, and my prep test score is kind of like around 165, and my goal is getting to T14, of course. Uh, but it's kind of like, below their median though. But my GPA is like 4.04. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to know like my chance to get into T14 and if not, like how late is like January LSAT? Um, where did you go to uh, college? University of Michigan. Cool. I have definitely worked with people who got into lower T14 schools with 166. 167 okay. and high 3.9 GPAs. So mm -hmm. it's definitely possible depending on, you know, how the LSAT goes for you. Uh, what about like, if I can start like a lower 160, like I kind of want to know if I take the January LSAT, is that like too late for application? Because my pre-law advisors can really anti-January LSAT. Uh, I'm going to throw this one to Selena in a second. My opinion is that you know, by the time the January LSAT score comes out, it is pretty late in the application cycle. At the mm -hmm. same time, I think a big jump in the LSAT score would outweigh that. Celine, okay. do you want to add your thoughts? Taking the January test means that your score is going to be available in early February, and that is considered fairly late in the cycle. And if you're aiming for a T14 school where, you know, they're awash in applications and they have a lot of they, they can pretty much craft whatever type of class that they want. Um, it's probably better for you to submit an application sooner rather than later. Um, okay. if, you, if you decide to go ahead and take that January LSAT after you've submitted ap completed applications to your schools and there is a big jump, then you should definitely let those schools know um, if you haven't received um, notification from them by the time you receive your scores. Uh, the other thing to remember is that, you know, um, hopefully you're applying to a, a broad spectrum of, of law schools and that, um, you know, there, there are schools outside the T14 schools, but within the top tier um, that will continue to receive applications all through the spring because, um, you know, the, the, the applicant pool is constantly moving and in flux. And um, at this point, you know, admissions committees don't really know what's going to happen. So, you know, I, I know of people who were still, you know, moving applications around in August um, and receiving offers of admissions in August, like in the middle of orientation, like 
you know, people are still trying to put together their class. And the August melt is where, you know, oh, we lost one of our high LSAT scores. We got to get somebody else and, you know, offer admission to this person. And so, um, you know, you have to respect the deadlines, but also know that, you know, if, if a really good application shows up at the admissions office, like they're probably going to look at it. Try to get an, a completed application ready sooner rather than later. Um, the best application you possibly can and submit it um, as soon as you can. Uh, and then, you know, if you feel like your current LSAT score is really not indicative of what you're capable of, then take that January test. And then, you know, if the scores are that much better, you just alert everybody and say, uh, look at this higher score. And if they haven't made a final decision, they will look at, they will, they will look at and take the higher score. Okay, understand. Well, thank you so much. Good luck on the test. Thanks. Next, a student asks about how to prepare for law school interviews. Well, thank you for doing this. Uh, you guys have um, mentioned in passing uh, in the last couple of questions, uh, interviewing. Um, can you speak to that a little bit more? I've been invited by a law school to do so, uh, and I just have the natural anxieties that go with that. Um, what to expect, uh, how to best prepare, and and they mention uh, it does it doesn't negatively impact their decision if you choose not to. Would you guys uh, definitely recommend doing so? Thank you. I would definitely recommend doing so. I would say that you should do some internet sleuthing to see okay. if you can find anything out about how these interviews usually go. Sure. But in general, you always want to prepare for a couple questions if you're going to do an interview. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of obvious. You want to prepare an answer for why you want to be a lawyer and why you want to go to law school. And all of the attendant questions like what you might do with your career, short-term and long-term, what city you hope to practice in, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, you also always, always want to talk about or be prepared to talk about why you're law school. You always want to be prepared to talk about your resume, and you always want to have a question or two for them up your sleeve because sure. the interviews often end with, do you have any questions for us? <clears throat> Celine, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, I think uh, the questions that you just listed here on what to expect are, are spot on. Um, you should prepare I would say two or three questions for the law school. Um, it's good if you do some research about the law school's programs and if you have a particular area of law that you think you might be interested um, and if there's any sort of overlap with specific programs at the law school, that would be good um, to show that you know, you've done your research and that you really want to be there. Um, if a law school invites you to come for an interview, you should yes. do it. Um, okay. You should wear a suit and treat it like it's a job interview. Mm -hmm. um, you should you know, be super polite and know that, um, you know, you, whatever impression you're making on the admissions counselor, they're going to write it up in your file. Mm -hmm. and they're going to remember. Um, so you want your interaction to be a really, you know, pleasant and respectful one. And if you haven't been invited for an interview, I would, you know, go visit the law school admissions office anyway, if you can, uh, because um, it, 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 you know, they say it's not, it's not gonna, 
what, what do they say? That it's not going to hurt you. Um, it's not going to help you. They don't do evaluative interviews. But every time a person comes in, um, if they have an application uh, on file for you, they're going to sort of write some notes. Because uh, heaven forbid, if someone comes in for an interview and they make a negative impression, that's definitely going in the file. And I think the last point I would make is one question you never want to ask is, this is my LSAT, this is my GPA, what are my chances of getting in? <laughs> don't, just don't go there. You, you, you can find that information out um, uh, on your own. Um, there's a lot of resources here at Seven Sage. Um, if there are certain things about your background that, that you want to raise to sort of highlight and say, you know, would this be helpful? I have this in my past. Um, how, how would you suggest that I incorporate this into my application so it would make me seem like a more attractive candidate? You know, something like that. Um, but just don't say, you know, this is my GPA, this is my LSAT, and can I get in? Because that's just, that is not, um, the interview is not the right time to ask that question. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, good luck. Next, a student asks if they should write their personal statement about graduating college early. Hi, thank you so much. Sure. Okay, so I just have lots of questions, but I'll be very quick. Okay, so... I'm confused because I finished my undergrad at 19 and I was thinking about writing that sort of as my personal statement, but at the same time, I'm not sure if that would be better for like a diversity statement about how I graduated early and this is something I've always wanted to do and this is all the experience I have. But at the same time, I'm worried that if I make that into my personal statement, it would sound a lot like my resume. Does that make sense? My personal feeling is that you don't want to play three-dimensional chess with your personal statement and diversity statements. Or what I really mean is that you don't want to make them a logic game where you say, well, if I say this in one essay, I can't say this in the other essay and blah, 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 blah. My advice is to make the problem more manageable by considering only the personal statement first, because that's the main essay. That's the required essay, and that is your best chance to say what you have to say. So when you're thinking about your personal statement, you're not considering this constellation of other questions about what your other essays are going to concern. You're just asking, what do I have to tell the admissions committee? What's my most important story? Is there a central fact of my life? If there is, and if the central fact of your life is that you went to college early and you know it was a struggle for you and you came out more mature and better and you learned something, that sounds like a great personal statement to me. I don't think that in any universe it should and necessarily has to have you know anything to do with your resume. You might be covering events that are also on your resume, but the difference between a personal statement and a resume is that a personal statement fills in your motivation. It doesn't just say that you did a thing. It tells us why you did that thing, and it tells us what you learned from it and how you changed afterwards. And a resume just can't accommodate that kind of story. Right. So to boil it down, my, my main advice is that you just consider the question of what you should write about in your personal statement in isolation. Mm -hmm. Tell the best story you can. And if that story is about going to college early, great. But that itself is only a topic. That's not the whole thing. So you'll still have a little bit more work to do. 
um, to figure out, you know, how this narrative is going to take us from a beginning to an end and what changes. Next, a student wants to know what's up with the obsession over the top 14 law schools. One more question is that I see like, especially in our discussions, a lot of people are focusing towards the top 14. Why is that? Like, of course, there will be great opportunities, but why exactly do people do that? Does that make sense? Not only does that make sense, but we wrote a blog post about it. It's called, do you have to go to the top 14 or something like that? Um, I didn't get it. And it said like, you don't have to at the same time, but there will be like, I think it was Washington University that I saw for St. Louis. And then so many people were saying that they wouldn't go to that, but would prefer a top 14 instead. So that was very surprising to me, considering I think they were being offered full ride scholarships at St. Louis rather than a top 14 school. I bet Celine has some interesting words of wisdom about this question of why everyone wants to and if it makes sense to to get crazy about it. Celine, do you do you have anything to say about that or do you want to talk about it? I have feelings. <laughs> uh, you know, when I was working in admissions, every year there'd be an annual conference where all the law schools uh, admissions offices would gather. And every year, everyone would gripe about the rankings and US News and how much power they have over everything mm-hmm. and how it affects so much of like a how, how a law school is run. Um, and you know, I've got here in front of me all the different factors that go into a school's ranking. And it's not only you know, the LSAT scores and the GPAs, but also academic reputation of a law school, non-academic reputation of a law school. Um, the average expenditures per student for instruction, library, and supporting services. Uh, student-faculty re- ratio, how many volumes and titles there are in the library. So, you know, whatever, what, whatever calculation U.S. News and World Report uses to determine the rank, it, it really is not about the quality of education that you're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, people who graduate from, you know, a school ranked 25 or 37 or 50 or 60, they graduate and they still find jobs and they have a very fulfilling career. And, you know, you should also, when you're looking at, at law schools and researching, think, think about the types of, the, the type of job that you want when you come out. And depending on the type of job that you want, you might not want to go to a T14 school. You know, maybe the, 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 you know, the number one ranked school for um, government and public interest jobs, um, according to the National Law Journal, is the City University of New York, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if somebody's very interested in government and public interest work, then, you know, maybe Yale is not the place for them. Uh, the number one ranked school, again, according to National Law Journal for state and local clerkships, is Seton Hall University, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the second ranked school is Rutgers U- University. Um, these are, you know, all out of all the national schools. So um, I really think that, uh, you know, granted, if you can get into a T14 school, then that's great. And is there a chance that you'd probably get like a big law job if you're in the top 40% at a T14 school? 
um, and that puts you in better standing than, you know, a school that's ranked 45 and you're in the top 10%, like maybe, um, but you should really think about, you know, what you want to get out of your law school education. And, you know, if, if a school that's ranked in thirties offers you 75% tuition reduction, um, versus going to a T14 school and you you going into debt for $160,000. I mean, these are really valid uh, issues that you have to, that you should, you know, mull over and, mm -hmm. you know, question like, you know, it, depending on what you want to do with your law career, um, are you really going to go into debt, that much debt? Because then you're going to have to get a big law job that you're going to have to stick with for a number of years to pay off your law school loans. Um, and, you know, you might find that you don't like big law um, and that, you know, the bubbles off the line after the first year, all the whining and dining and, you know, the benefits of working at a big law firm. And then you realize like you only get three hours of sleep every night and you never see your friends and family. Right. So would you say that big law is strictly only for top 14 or even like top 30 is fine? Does that make sense? I mean, I, I think big law, depending on which big law firm you want to work at is, mm -hmm. you know, if you want, if you think that you want to be uh, at a big law firm in New York city, I would say either go T14 or go to a school in New York city. Um, because law firms have alumni from, I mean, law firms have partners who, who, who recruit from their law schools. I know people who graduated from a, a school outside the top 50 who graduated in the top third of their class and they got a job in big law, you know, making top salaries. So, you know, it, it really whether, whether you, the type of employment that you get depends on how well you sell yourself as a law student. How good were your, how good were your grades? How well do you interview? Do they really like you? Are you a fun person? Do they want to hang out with you? Because, you know, you're going to be in a closing room at three o'clock in the morning with these people. And if they think you're weird, they're not going to want to hire you. Right? <laughs> so there are a lot of different factors that go into whether you get a job or not. And so I, you know, I think that... You, you should consider, you know, how, how, how much financial commitment can I make to going to a school? Um, and where do I want to practice? And where would I mind going to law school? And what sort of practical training opportunities are available for me at this law school? And um, I, I think that, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't just think T14 or bust and that, you know, you're never going to get a job and you're never going to be happy. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people who go to law school right now and they graduate and they find fulfilling careers. And thank you so much. All right, good luck. Next, we'll hear from Nick, who's asking if he has to rewrite his personal statement because he's reapplying. Hello, thanks for doing this tonight. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Um, I have a more specific question. I am a reapplicant this year, and it's something that I have been told from other admission officers is that I should resubmit a, or I guess, redo a personal statement. And I had worked on that, except um, I had used kind of the stuff on the admission course last year and kind of created a personal statement that was more of like a narrative. And so it, it, it's, the, that narrative is still the reason why I want to go to law school. And there's not really much to update on that. Um, is it, do you guys think it's okay to use the old one or should I use a, 
newer one, I guess. Celine, can you field this one first? Sure. I would say you absolutely should do a new personal statement. That doesn't mean that you need to scrap the old one, which I'm sure you you worked really hard on. Um, I I just think that they not be able to look at the old one and then, oh, sorry. Um, Maybe I'll take off the headphones. You, you want there to be enough of a difference um, when admissions reader looks at it that um, they see that you made an effort. I would say if you worked on a specific narrative, um, you could probably keep the same basic structure, but since you know, you're obviously not the same person that you were a year ago, that it should, in some ways, I think you should try to insert possibly new new information about what you've been doing the last year um how your you know how your life has changed or continued to evolve since the last time you tried to uh, create a personal statement um but i i think that you you don't you don't have to redo the whole thing but i think you have to show that you took the time and you made the effort to to do a new personal statement or a new form of it so it's about telegraphing the effort Yes, I think that 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 is a lot of it um, that I've heard people say, oh, it's a reapplicant. They applied last year and they didn't come or they didn't get admitted or whatever. Um, well, is there anything new? You know, did they update their resume? Did they at least include a new personal statement? No. Um, and and there there is a little bit of judgment, <laughs> I think. Um, they want to they want to know that you uh you thought it through carefully and that you made an effort to put together something that, you know, they should read. Okay. So I think this becomes really tough when people have an experience that is the central fact of their life. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, we're working with another applicant who underwent a really harrowing medical procedure that went wrong. And there's nothing else that that applicant could write about And he did an amazing job of telling the story in the right way. And so I would worry that if he tried to polish it up, he would, he would almost inevitably make it worse. Mm. Um, Yeah, I hear what you're saying. If if that is the case, then um, perhaps I would revise my earlier statement and say, um, if you're going to break the personal statement by messing with it, then at least include an addendum if possible saying this is what has been going on with me since the last time I applied. Make sure that you update your resume so that you include current information. And if you've done anything that's like professionally significant or, you know, would be of interest to um, a law school admissions committee, you know, possibly get a a new letter. Yeah. So it sounds like from somebody, you know, if, if you've been doing something new, if you've Okay. Yeah. So to go off that, I I had kind of been doing something new and what I had done in the form of of an addendum, I guess, is I wrote a diversity statement um, that relates to something I had done and I had not submitted a diversity statement last year. So um, I I think that that would be a good alternative. Okay. To show that, because it's hard to write something. And so uh, you know, you're, you're, you're giving them something else to evaluate mm-hmm. this time around. Okay, great. I think that answers my question. Thank you, guys. But what, uh, 
but Nick, I don't want to let you off the hook. So just because there are some cases where somebody, you know, might have a really compelling reason not to write a new personal statement or not to change it very much, that doesn't mean that you're one of those people. What I'm taking from Celine and what I gather from my own conversations with admissions officers is that if you can write a new one, write a new one. If you can update it, update it. Maybe especially at the beginning, I don't know if Celine agrees with this, but if you update the beginning or just change the first sentence or the first paragraph, then the admissions officer can tell at a glance that you've looked at it again, that something is different. Um, and the other easy place to update a personal statement might be the last paragraph, which usually expands into your ambition and might be able to tie in something that you've been doing recently. Um, so you might be able to um, change that without, without breaking the whole thing. I think the only time you really want to leave it alone is when you quote unquote have to, you have no choice but to write this story because it is, because it is the story. Okay. Um, no, that's good criticism. So thank you, David. Um, I think I will go down that route where um, uh, kind of tweak it a little bit, mainly focus on the beginning of ending and ending for mine. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Next, a student wonders if an application's going complete quickly is significant in any way. I just have some quick questions. Um, okay. Hey, I, okay. I was wondering when, once you submit an application, I think um, usually from what I read, there's like a couple day delay between you submitting it and the application going complete. But if the application went complete, say within a day of you submitting it, or maybe within half a day of you submitting it, does that mean that it's possible they're interested in you? Or is that just me trying to read tea leaves? You know, you know I don't know. I was wondering if that's a I'll solid. hand this one over to you. Sure. Um, yeah, that, that means that their um, administrative staff is working quickly um, to process applications. Okay. Uh, the way the system works is that um, when you submit to LSAC, they will put together your application. They put it into a report that's in two parts. One okay. has your, your, your application plus your resume and your personal statement and your addenda. And then there's a second part of the report um, that, uh, so, so the first part is called the EAP, the electronic yes. information. And the second part is called the CAS report, the yes. Family Service Report. And that's your transcripts um, and your letters of recommendation. So your application is not considered complete until a law school receives both of those. Right. Um, and so the system, and, and not all law schools use you know, this, this system, but most of them do. The, the system will sweep in all the new applications, all application materials into the school's database mm -hmm. every 20 minutes. Like it's frequent. And so, um, you know, their, their, their database is getting, is getting updated on a continuous basis, right? right. So um, uh, the, then the back office, they will get this information and um, usually they have an online status checker, right? That you can yes. log into. And so, you know, it's at that point where, you know, your application is marked complete and in review or complete right. review. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's more sort of administrative process than someone having looked at your information and go and, and think, wow, this is a good one. 
we want to okay. first. <laughs> okay, just just don't because yeah, I just you know because I was I talked to them and they just told me you know you should probably be waiting about two to three days. That was and just I, I submitted that in the evening and I checked like the next day like around you know. 10, 11 ish, and I'm like, ooh, I was complete already. Yay, but okay, I guess that's, that's kind of reading tea leaves, so I'll just leave it there. Next, David addresses a question about why international applicants' odds are worse than their domestic counterparts. I want to take a question from anonymous attendee. Can you talk about students with foreign degrees? I noticed the data shows that international applicants tend to fare worse. What are some ways to use this background to my advantage? And how can I best assess my chances without a GPA? So I'm going to tell you what I know, and then I'm going to hand it to Celine, who knows more than me because she dealt with international applicants for 14 years. The first thing I want to say is we really did notice a a negative correlation between not being an American citizen and getting into law school. Another simpler way of saying that is all else being equal, especially LSAT and GPA score, international students tended to fare a little bit worse than domestic students in the admissions process. But all of you are studying for the LSAT, and so you know that correlation is not causation. Our finding does not mean that international being international causes you to do worse in the admissions process. It is possible that there's a third cause. Um, it's possible that international students on the whole, um, are more likely to speak English as a second language and therefore are more likely to write less strong personal statements and other application materials. And so therefore, you know, all else really isn't equal. It's the, the numbers are equal, but the essays are not equal. That's one possibility. There are other possibilities. It, it is also totally possible that being an international might drag your application down a little bit. I would guess though that if your writing is strong, if you show that you know you have command of English and that you're a good writer uh, and and maybe more importantly a good thinker, there's going to be no effect at all on your application. You'll be just fine. As for how you can best calculate your chances, my guess is that you should just if you need one if you need a thin slice it, right? If you need just sort of one like very crude way, I, I would just guess that if your LSAT score is above the median of a school, you have a decent chance of getting in. And if your LSAT score is below the median of a school, you have, you know, that school's a reach, um, assuming that you don't have many major character and fitness questions. With all that said, I would love to hear what Celine thinks about all this. International applicants are not all created equal. And I think an admissions committee would view an application from someone who had gone to Oxford very differently than an application from someone who went to Seoul National. Uh, that said, uh, you know the, G- the GPA and the academic credentials. Like, how do you? How can you compare a three eight from 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 a, a school in Korea or China to a three eight from an American university? Um, how do you judge a, a first, you know, if you're coming from a UK school with, you know, a 3-4 from, from somebody else here in the States? Uh, it's very hard to. Um, but the LSAT score is, is something that a school will sort of glom onto. And if you, admi- if you admit someone with a 
171 and no GPA and they come, then you can count that 171 in your, you know, in your, um, your LSAT pool. Um, so, you know, that, that, they, they would benefit from that. Um, what gives an admissions committee pause is, okay, but how will they do in the program? Are they going to be able to get a job? Are they going to graduate? Are they going to pull down our employment numbers for whatever reason? On the back end, will we pay for, you know, taking up this um, very high LSAT score? So that is a calculation that they're making. Um, where Ways that you can strengthen your application. Um, work very hard on getting a strong LSAT score, the best score you can get. Uh, work very hard on your personal statement and um, make sure that you have lots of eyeballs on your personal statement so that it reads as smoothly as possible in English because they're going to look at your writing really carefully. They're going to look at your LSAT essays really carefully. Um, and... I know that the process of procuring letters of recommendation um, in different countries culturally is very different than, than trying to get uh, recommendations from professors here in the States. Um, I've had applicants say, you know, they don't want to bother their professor. Um, they don't want to bother their partner or supervisor because it's really a burden for them to put together a letter or they'll say, well, they told me that I should write a letter and then they'll just sign it. And so, you know, their references end up looking a little different and are not um, as typical as the kind of letters that we would get from uh, domestic candidates. So that, that might make an international application look a little off, right? So it's like little things that, that, that set the application apart from the rest of the pool. Um, you want your application to be distinctive for like positive reasons. So um, when you're trying to get letters of recommendation, try to find someone who is in a position to, to know you and can write about you well. That doesn't mean that you should go try to get a letter of recommendation from the dean of your college or your, um, your undergraduate school or uh, the partner at the law firm that maybe you were um, interning at who never sees you, but they're willing to put you, you know, put to, to use their letterhead. Like that's not very helpful. You should try to find someone who is going to be able to write about you well and personally and know knows what your goals are. Um, I think that things like that can, can, can make your application stand out in positive ways. Thanks. I've also heard, I think you said this too, that I've heard many admissions officers say that they're much more likely to read the LSAT writing sample of international candidates. You know, I've actually never heard of, and I've really never thought that much about how students can prepare for that LSAT writing sample. <laughs> Celine, do you know of anybody who practices that? Um, who practices? I the think, LSAT writing sample? Yeah, I think everyone should practice writing the LSAT essay, uh, writing the, the essays. Like that should be part of your review. And here's why. I was listening to a panel of admissions deans and they were saying that they all read those essays really carefully and they will deny people who do not treat that process with respect hmm. they they that someone just you know was completely flippant in the essay and maybe they got a decent score but they're like this this person wrote 
inappropriate stuff in their essay. Or, oh my gosh, this one guy said, this, this candidate drew spiders all over their LSAT essay paper. Spiders. Yeah, and he's like, you're applying to a professional school. Like, what are we supposed to make of this when you, you know, treat the process this way? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I made a mental note that, yes, I mean, I have always read the LSAT essays because it's a time crunch they don't have the time to write something super polished. They haven't had, you know, different pairs of eyes looking at it. So this is really how they write. And so, yeah, I think it is, they, they, they will review the essays of international candidates very, very carefully um, because, you know, sometimes they don't provide TOEFL scores because, you know, the TOEFL test is very different from the LSAT. And if you can post a strong LSAT score, then it doesn't matter, you know, what your TOEFL score is. But um, they will read it carefully, but they read it carefully for everybody, I think. Sounds like we need to add a section to our course. No spiders. No spiders. That's the main takeaway from this entire webinar. Next, we hear from a student who is having a hard time getting started on her personal statement. I just really need to work on my personal statement. I feel like, you know, after reading so many different essays and even talking with friends of mine, you know, who have all these like extraordinary, you know, fascinating stories. Mm -hmm. um, and not to say that I don't have a story, I'm sure that I do, but being able to identify it in a way that like, you know, makes it something I can write about has just been like, not, I just, I don't know, I could definitely use some, maybe some more pointers on writing a compelling statement. Yeah, sure. Can you see my screen right now, by the way? Yes, I can. So the first thing I'll do is just show you um, a couple lessons, sevensage.com slash blog. So I just posted this law school personal statement examples that worked. And, um, you know, we see a lot of really good essays, but these are some of my all-time top favorites. These are all essays that I remember you know, long after I worked on them with people. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen this blog post yet, you should check it out for inspiration because a lot of these essays are also by people who never piloted a plane to carry water to a remote village that was on fire or whatever. These are just normal people who were good writers and who carved a story out of the otherwise undifferentiated mass of their lives. Um, this first one's a really good example. You know, it's about somebody who thought about being a doctor and then decided that she wanted to work in law after a stint in advertising. And it's not an incredible story from the outside. She wouldn't sell the movie rights to it, but it's just so well-written and, and so fun. Um, so that's one you should look at. You should really read all of them. The second one's another good example. This this writer is not someone who, you know, is talking about an accomplishment or something extraordinary that happened to her, either in a good way or a bad way. She wrote about her experience of depression, and she just wrote about it with such precision and um, poetry and thoughtfulness that it turned into a great essay and she was accepted to Stanford. This one, I, I guess, is a little closer to an extraordinary experience, but not extraordinary in a bad way. It's, um, 
the, the writer talks about how his friend passed away and how he dealt with the grief by weightlifting. And he got into his top choice school. I think that he got in with a below median LSAT score. And I know that he got a handwritten note from the dean of that school praising his personal statement in particular. So um, yeah, check these out. These, these are, a, a lot of these essays are written by people you know, with average experiences, experiences that are not themselves the hallmark of a, of a good essay. And so you know, they made up for it by just telling a thoughtful story. I know that's not a tip, but it, they might serve as inspiration for you. If you're looking at the course, uh, probably the most helpful lesson for like, how do I tell a story about my life? It's boring is this one, um, how to write a personal statement story basics. And then this one about personal statement topics. If you scroll down past the video, there's just a, a huge long list of prompts. And if you brainstorm these prompts, brainstorming means that you're not worrying about uh, the eloquence. You're not letting yourself be psyched out. You're just writing as quickly as you can. You're trying to sort of dredge the bottom of your mind to see what comes up. You know, you might surprise yourself with the details, but, you know, first you're just going to sort of splatter the canvas with paint. And then later you're going to look at it and see if there's an interesting shape in there. So yeah, before you despair, just brainstorm, put a lot of stuff on the page and then come back to it and look for anything interesting. Does that help? Yes, it does. I actually, I read those. Um, I think with the exception of one, I read those uh, personal statements today. And I mean, you're right. The last one was just, because I was looking at the topic and it said weightlifting and I started reading it. And I'm like, okay, I don't see weightlifting, but like, this is really gripping. So, yeah. um, I mean, of course, and that didn't come in until the end, but um, yeah, I'm, I'll definitely uh, work on, I guess the brainstorming. I mean, I have like a long list of just like you said, like a smattering of things. And I'm still trying to decide like, which one of these can I, I guess, am I passionate enough about to, you know, where it has the story and the lesson or the, the event well, and the lesson. The thing that is that you find the story and the lesson. And even though in an ideal world, you write a topic that you have to write, you have no choice because it grips you it chooses you, right? The wand chooses the wizard. You don't choose the wand. That's the ideal scenario. In real life, lots of people just choose a topic and then they work hard in a, you know, very um, matter of fact way, just plugging away, spend, you know, a couple hours every day, maybe for a while until they just get to a good draft. So um, I have a friend who runs a writing workshop who just tweeted something like, it is so much easier to turn crappy writing into good writing than write a great draft immediately. And it's so true. Like your first step is not to write a good essay. Your first step is to write a bad essay. And your second step is to revise it into a slightly less bad essay. And your fifth step is to write a good essay. Oh, that's a nice way of looking at it. This next student wonders if they really need to explain why law in their personal statement. 
as I'm like going through applications and I'm noticing like from school to school, some just say like, have a personal statement, talk about whatever you want. They don't really mention even talking about law at all. Um, whereas to like another school, I guess wants a little bit more emphasis. And then another school said, do whatever you want, include law, why you want to go to like, uh, why you want to pursue law at their school or put it um, like additional to in another document. So my question is, in terms of the ones that doesn't say anything about law, should I be still putting some form of emphasis on it? Is it like an under, is it like implied that I should talk about why I want to pursue law? That's a, such a good question. I'm going to take a stab at it and then I'm going to pass it off. I think the answer is yes and no. So if you only wrote an essay about why you just love to paint your fingernails black and it makes you feel good and it expresses your identity and like that's it like there's there's no sort of broader reaching towards a lesson a moment of growth uh, uh, or anything about your career ambitions you will probably leave the admissions committee scratching their head and saying well I'm you know I'm glad that you can express yourself by painting your fingernails black but I don't know why I care I, I don't know why you thought I would care um, so even if they don't specify that they want to hear why you want to go to law school, it's often a good way to wrap up your essay because it just gives meaning to the whole thing, right? If you pivot toward right. law at the end, you sort of retrospectively cast the entire essay as a setup for, for this moment. And you can still have your personal story and your uh, narrative poem about why you want to uh, why you like to paint your nails black. Yeah. But I also think just from a practical point of view, you'll drive yourself crazy if you try to write 10 different essays for 10 different schools. So uh, the other really good reason to pivot towards law at the end is that it makes your personal statement work for most schools. Um, so can I ask you a follow-up question to that? Yeah. Um, okay, so like I've talked about like dance because I um, did Indian classical dance and I had like a big graduation and it was like an eight year journey basically and then I like had like a 500 people came and it was like a big celebration. So I kind of talked about like starting from the beginning and like sort of like the before the turning point and after kind of like how you've put it in the curriculum and then at the very end in like a couple of sentence I talked about law but then when I gave it to two people to read that were not too familiar with law but just kind of basing it off of the prompt they sort of felt like I was applying to like dance school essentially because they got that at the end I put the law part but they just feel like I just put a ribbon on the end just to like say I put it does that make sense because yeah. I was sort of basing it off of the personal statement that you put up um it was about culinary school and I think they were trying to make a dish and it took six weeks or something like that yeah so it was like similar to that and I like because I think that person ended up writing one or two sentences at the end yeah trying to like connect it and that was sort of my thought process because I felt like that was the best way to talk about like my motivation dedication and perseverance but I guess it kind of came off as not really too law-based and so I guess now I'm really confused as to how to approach it well I think <sighs> I feel like, by the way, I'm stalling because I feel like Celine is going to come in here and slap me with the hand of God and say, 
<laughs> and she's going to come in and say, yes, you need to write about law school. But <laughs> while I'm still buying time, I, Krishna, I also think that you have to like, it's not a question of what the best personal statement is in a vacuum. The question is like, what can I write about compellingly? So if you take two extreme cases, on the one hand, if you have absolutely no reason to apply to law school, you're just doing it, you're right. probably not going to be able to write a good statement about why you want to go to law school. So you know, you may have no choice, or at least it may be the best choice to write about dance and pivot to law at the end. Now, I haven't read your essay. Maybe there's a better way to do it than you're doing it. But I, I don't think like it's a structural problem necessarily. Okay. On the other hand, if you have great reasons for going to law school, and if you did incredible internships, you know, at the DA's office and at a big law firm, and then you wrote about dance, well, I would say maybe you should rethink that because, you know, maybe there's another way to write about dance for a supplemental essay or something, but, okay. you know, the law experience would be better for the personal statement. So you're always just comparing your options. And right. um, I think that if you don't have a better legal essay and if the story about dance is the best story you can tell, and if the prompt doesn't ask you to talk about law school, it's probably okay. I say getting nervous as I let Celine stomp on me. <laughs> no stomping. Um, obviously, you've dedicated a, a large chunk of your life to dance and you're passionate and you care about it. And um, it takes a lot of work and concentration and dedication. And these are all great things um, about a person that could be applicable in law school and um, in the law profession. So I would say if, if this is something that you love and you care about, you absolutely should write about it. Um, I don't know what your motivations are for wanting to go to law school. And you know, it, it might be because you wanna be a social crusader and you wanna save the world, or it might be because you wanna go work at a white shoe law firm and make lots of money for a little while, which is all great. Um, I was thinking that I have seen lots and lots of personal statements from artists who had made a go at being an artist, you know, often musicians or dancers or um, people who write plays, um, people who act in theater. And they had experience as artists where they tried to be creative and they ran into like the legal side of the art world. And they realized that this is really interesting or maybe they were taken advantage by some people and they realized they need to know their rights or they realize that they want to help other artists with their rights, um, something like that. And they, that's how they sort of brought the law into it. And they said, you know, I, I, I experienced this personally, and therefore I want to know more for myself, but I also want to work with artists going in the future. I want to represent artists, or I'm very interested in intellectual property law, and that's why I want to go to your law school. And okay. it, it was a very natural progression. I'm not saying that that is... The way True. Go, but you're saying it's just one way. It's one way, and it it completely makes sense. Um, and it is a it is an approach that um, I've seen a lot, um, and it's you know works successfully. Um, is is that truly the case for everybody? Maybe not, but it it was the approach that made sense and um, was successful. So it's something to think about. And lastly, a student asks if a YX essay is necessary for each school that asks for one. 
And uh, one, one last question. You know, I, I did the um, Georgetown uh, group interview. There was kind of a mention that, like, writing an optional why you want, like, a YX is advantageous, basically. Is that something you'd recommend for pretty much all schools that I'm serious about? Because half the schools I'm applying to, there's an optional YX. Other schools like USC I'm applying to does not have that. So is that something that you would encourage to write if, if I that is in fact uh you know one of my choices? I'll give I'll give my advice. I would love to hear what Celine thinks too. I actually haven't discussed this with her. I, I happen to think that obviously if a school offers a YX, you have to write it. I mean, even if it's an optional, right. Right. I don't think right. it's really optional. Unless unless it's something like Michigan, right, where they have a menu of essays and if right. you write another one I think that's fine too. Um, okay. You know, if you have a really strong one, um, I do not think that you should reflexively write a YX if a school doesn't okay. ask for it. I've spoken to a Fordham admissions officer who said basically write it if it's really good, and I, I think that that's the right answer for other schools too. If you have really specific and compelling reasons to go to a school. Or maybe possibly like if you're an amazing writer and you just do a ton of research and you write something that's just totally natural sounding and it doesn't sound like a regurgitation of their own marketing material, which is what most YX essays sound like. I think in that case, it is okay to send a YX as an addendum. If that's not you, I think that you should strongly consider the option of adding a couple YX sentences to the end of your personal statement. It's okay. less of an ask on the admissions officer's time, and it's a good way to make some extra effort without, without foisting another unsolicited essay on them. Sure. But Celine, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I agree with you that uh, if if they say optional YX essay, then you got to write it because if you're not writing it, somebody else is, and right. that's going to make them stand out more than you. So yeah, if, if they give you the choice, then you have to do it. And if you do it, then um, you want to make sure that it doesn't sound like it's too obvious a regurgitation of their own marketing materials. And so I would sure. say get on Google and start Googling, you know, that school, see what interesting things their faculty are writing about, see if any of them have been mentioned in the news, is there an area of law that you're particularly interested in, and there's a course or a seminar or a clinic or some sort of study abroad program that the school has that really interests you, like I would just pick out a couple things that are not on the first page of a Google search, just to show that you made an effort, yeah. right? Um, if they don't ask for a YX, then absolutely what David said, like I think it's a good idea to somehow, at the, maybe in the, the, the last paragraph, talk about specific things um, about that school that really interest you, like, you know, if you have a great interest in dispute resolution and you know that this school is one of the top 10 programs in the country for dispute resolution, then you, know, you, wanna, you wanna say, I'm coming specifically for this, right? That right. would be yeah. useful. Um, if the school doesn't give you the option for doing a YYX essay, but they do allow for additional addenda in um, the electronic application, 
I would use that opportunity only if you have a special connection, like if they have a specific program that is completely on point with like what you want to do in your future. Um, or if you've got like a family connection or a professional connection, you know, if you've worked at a place where the mentor uh, says you absolutely must go to this place, or if you've, um, if you have a, 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 a connection with a student there or a professor there or something different and unique um, that ties you to that school, then I would, I would definitely try to figure out a way to discuss that. Um, because, you know, so, sometimes you'll see things in a file that um, makes, you know, the reader say, ooh, you know, the dean says that we should let him or her know if we get an applicant that has this type of connection, right? You, um, yeah. you never know. So, you know, if, if you have any sort of special tie with a school, then you might want to highlight that in some way. And, and is it okay if it's like just two paragraphs or a paragraph, like not a, like even not a full page, but like a paragraph or two, like, is that cool or, you know, I would say two really good, well thought out paragraphs, paragraphs. are fine. Okay. Um, all right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, those are my questions. Thank you so much for helping me with that. And uh, again, I'm excited not to take the January test. So thank you. Yeah, good luck. And that's a wrap for this episode. Like I said, Celine and David will be holding more office hours in the coming weeks, and we'll be collecting and releasing another episode of Highlights soon. If you have questions about your own applications, please do join us. These office hours are totally free to attend, and we love to have you. I hope you found this episode helpful. If you did, please consider leaving us a review. If you have any questions or suggestions about future episodes, please send them to podcast at sevensage.com. See you next time.